We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. In three, two, one. Welcome to Dallas. I'm Gabe Ibrahim alongside Megan Gower and Aaron Barzilai of Her Hoop Stats. And we are here for the final four. Guys, it has been a long season in the best way possible. We've seen some amazing basketball throughout this year. And we're finally here in the place where it's all going to end up with Iowa, LSU, Virginia Tech, South Carolina. I'm not sure why I said it in that order because those <laughs> teams are not playing each other. But regardless, Megan, how are you feeling being here in Dallas? It's great to be here. A little tired from the traveling, but great to be here. So, yeah, we're really excited. Got kind of first preview of media stuff today and big games tomorrow. Aaron, yeah. how are you feeling? I'm very excited. It's just nice to be here. Um, just a real buzz being in the arena today for the open practices and the kind of media workroom, seeing the press conferences. And yeah, I just feel like there's just a lot of excitement. You know, in some ways, it seems like when we were uh, together last year in Minneapolis, well, it seems like a long time yeah, ago, was. but it also seems like very recently, too. It wasn't that long ago we were all together celebrating women's basketball, and it's great to be doing it again this weekend. Yeah, no, it's been, it was a blast last year, and it's been a blast so far. This year, we're actually staying in the, the same hotel where all the coaches are staying, so got some good coaching advice, actually. Uh, Mike Neighbors told me my team is not bad at shooting, they're bad at making, because we practice shooting all the time. We don't make very many shots. <laughs> you can mention the hotel. We should, you know, we're looking for a sponsor, man. Marriott, come at us. Was this Sheridan? It's Marriott Bonvoy. Yeah, you get, you might get some points out of this one. All right, there we go. But yeah, so we, we had our we had the press conferences today. Um, you know, we haven't I, we haven't really had a chance to go down to Torney Town yet, which is something that's always a blast. Um, if you're here in Dallas, go check it out. Um, but we get to, we get to see a stadium. We get to see Fan Fest. Uh, what was your initial feeling being around the stadium do you think they set it up nicely all that yeah I thought the arena looked really nice they clearly spent a lot of time decorating inside mm-hmm. everything's decked out in women's final four stuff so that's really cool 
Um, we didn't really walk through training, or the fan fest too much, but it looked like they had a lot of stuff going on, so it seems like a good environment so far. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I definitely thought the arena itself, I think my takeaway is the arena itself, I think, looks uh, even better than last yeah. year. I mean, I really like um, American Airlines Center, right? Yes. was the Crucial. arena in Miami. Um, but uh, the other thing that's been interesting, we've been walking back and forth through the arena. And so I will say that we were in Minneapolis. It had a little bit more of, like, women's basketball vibe. And I think part of that was because it had more of a city vibe. I just haven't seen pe people, period, here in Dallas. It's not like I've seen all kinds of people that don't look interested in women's basketball. So um, so I do miss that uh, aspect of last year. But I think, especially because, you know, we got in on Wednesday, all of us, and so it's Thursday now as we're recording. I think more people are arriving. I think more and more fans will be there. So, yeah, it was, it was awesome to... You know, people were there, like, when I walked by at whatever time it was, 11, for the party on the plaza, yeah. I think it was called. Um, and so I expect uh, the numbers to just kind of swell. It was definitely, I don't recall last year that they opened practice for the yeah. semifinal game. Yeah, so there were, last year, yeah. Um, yeah, and I guess we kind of made the mistake of not uh, sticking around for uh, Caitlin Clark at Iowa mm -hmm. open practice, because that's probably the most crowded one, I bet of all. <laughs> but there were definitely a lot of people there. Uh, yeah. I thought today. Yeah, we went to LSU's open practice. We did not glean anything uh, for their matchup <laughs> against Virginia Tech. There was there was nothing notable that I put there at the open practice because they are not stupid. They're very smart. Yeah. Um, we we did get to talk to the coaches and some of the players, and we got some more insight into the games. I think we want to preview the the final four games because they they are tomorrow. Uh, they start they are tomorrow on Friday. So um, let's get into it. Let's start with LSU Virginia Tech. And I think that surprises some people because the marquee matchup is obviously Iowa-South Carolina with the two best players in the country. But for my money, this LSU-Virginia Tech game is the more interesting matchup in terms of the basketball that's going to be played because these two teams match up well and match up in interesting ways. You have Angel Reese down low in the paint, who is a dominant big, and then you have another dominant big in Liz Kitley, who plays a very different style. Uh, and those two... You know, maybe they clash. Maybe they don't even match up against each other to keep each other out of foul trouble. And then it becomes a chess match in terms of the coaches putting the other players in the right positions. So, Megan, when you look at this LSU-Virginia Tech matchup, I mentioned the, the matchup down low, but there's so many little yeah. areas where, where these teams are similar. Where do you think the difference is going to be? I think it's really going to come down to which teams players outside of their stars have the bigger mm -hmm. game. So for LSU and Virginia Tech, you're going to have – Reese versus Kitley in a way, and then you're going to have Morris versus Amor in a way, but what do they get from everyone else I think is going to be the difference in this one. I think it's going to come down to who gets more from everyone else on the court, and that's going to decide the game. Yeah, and actually Kim Mulkey mentioned that, right? Mm -hmm. she, she said that you know great players tend to... Oh, she, and say, uh, let me get the right quote. I have it here. I have, I have it written down. Uh, that I don't think great players ever stop each other. It usually comes down to those unsung heroes. So those unsung heroes for you would be someone like a Ladeja Williams yep. or Taylor Soul. Yep, exactly. Those players, um, King for Virginia mm -hmm. Tech, had a bunch of big shots for them against Ohio State. We've got Flaudia Johnson has been so quiet, but you know she's capable of hitting mm -hmm. from the perimeter, so she could have a big night. I think it's going to come down to which of those players comes out and has the big night. Yeah, and, it, and it'll be also interesting to see how the coaches use those players, right? Because you're, you're assuming they're the ones that are going to be open. Yeah. You're assuming Kayla King is going to have more space than Liz Kitley, especially, you know, with how Georgia Amor is playing right now, you got to think LSU is completely gearing up to stop her right. 
as a, as a preliminary matter. And I, I like how Alexis Morris is kind of approaching this. And I think she's heard the, all that chatter about Georgia Amor. And someone asked her about it in the press conference. And, you know, she said, Georgia's a great player. I'm a great player, too. So how do you think that's going to go? And so I love that attitude from LSU. Um, and I think, they, you know, they've had that all year. And, but I also love the attitude from Virginia Tech that they've had all year. It's so different. And I just love the, this, you know, Styles makes fights. This is yeah. the perfect fight for me. Aaron, what do you think is going to be a deciding factor? Yeah, I think it's interesting. One question that I have, I was just looking uh, on our site at the schedule is, I mean, the size of the crowd for Virginia Tech and what they, is this going to be the biggest crowd they've faced all season, right? Yeah. In contrast to, I guess, LSU. That South Carolina game was... Was that, was that South Carolina, right? So that's a little, I mean, it's not quite the same as being at the Final Four, but a little closer simulation, I think. So I wonder if that's going to help uh, LSU a bit. I, you know, it's hard to say. Um, and then, yeah, I think it's going to be just really interesting. We've had this narrative that kind of took hold at the beginning of the season, that, like, LSU played nobody, mm-hmm. um, which, like, you know, their non-conference ranked schedule, I think we said 320th or something on our site. Um, but, you know, now they've gone through the SAC, SEC. They've gone through uh, the tournament. And, um, you know, they have started to play someone. And so it's going to be interesting, I think, from a narrative standpoint, if at the end of it all they can say, hey, look, here we are in the the championship game by taking down Virginia Tech. But, you know, I think a lot of people fell in love with Virginia Tech this past uh, weekend nationally. Um, We haven't really seen a lot of them. And so I'm looking forward. (laughs) Can you think of anybody, Gabe? (laughs) And uh, um, so, I I mean, I'm certainly excited to see – how they do. I know that right, Georgia Amor, I believe, has more threes in the tournament than Caitlin Clark. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so that's a fun little stat that we'll be monitoring, I'm sure, after uh, Friday night is over. And so I think it's got a real chance to be kind of a classic game. I think as you said. Yeah, no, I, th- I absolutely think it's going to be a classic. I love the coaching matchup, too. You know, two, again, the two most different coaches, I think, in the entire <laughs> tournament. That is an interesting question. I th- I what would be an odder couple? Yeah, it'd be the, it's the oddest couple between Kim Mulkey, you know, the every, I don't need to explain Kim Mulkey to you guys, and then Kenny Brooks, who's like just, you know, someone who exudes kindness and um, just like just like this gentleness to him that is really interesting, and especially considering how his team plays tough still, and he is, you know, he kind of has instilled that culture of family in them, and they really love each other, yeah. and they have been, they've been like this... You know, I, I know people don't, aren't going to believe me, but last year in the ACC tournament, Georgia Amor was this good. Mm-hmm. And this year in the ACC tournament, Georgia Amor was this good. And she's just continuing to get better and, you know, doing this. I mean, I hate to say it, but it is kind of like a Steph Curry impression. Do you feel like she's peaking at the right time? I remember, you know, some of the different basketball jobs I had. I was with the Memphis Grizzlies. Mm-hmm. They were the eighth seed, I believe, yeah, and yeah. beats the San Antonio Spurs because, like, Zach Randolph just had an incredible peak for the right moment, and then of course it wasn't sustainable for the rest of the NBA playoffs. And so, as someone that's watched a lot of her, do you feel that this is her sustainable thing, and the world's been sleeping on her, or do you feel like she's picked it up and can't will be able to would be able to sustain it um, going forward? I don't have the stats in front of me, so I don't want to, I don't yeah, want to yeah, talk yeah. out of pocket. Uh, I don't know what you shoot. Why don't you say the wrong thing first, then we'll tell you that. Yeah, wrong. tell me the right thing. In the end, I mean, I don't know what you shoot in the NCAA tournament. I think this is the way she does. And I think what's, what may change in her numbers as she goes forward is the attention that's going to be paid to her. Um, it'll depend, because Liz Kitley can come back for another year next year. Um, so if Liz Kitley comes back, then you know that kind of puts Georgia in the same position that she was in coming into this year, where she is right now, right? So then she's not she have more open space to hit those steps. Yeah. So it, if that happens, then I think, yeah, it's totally sustainable. I think next year, if, she's, if, if Kitley leaves and she's the only person, I think her numbers are going to go down, but I don't think her play 
changes that much. I think this is just the type of player she is and what she's developed into. So, Megan, tell me, am I wrong about what she shot in the ACC? Yeah, she hasn't shot great. I think she's fallen off a little bit from where she was in the ACC tournament where she was shooting really, really well from the floor, but 36.4% from three, so still not bad, especially considering the volume of shots she's taking. And the difficulty of the shots. Yeah, and the difficulty, too, and obviously the the attention she's faced on defense has increased a lot over the last few rounds. So, still, she's made 23s so far. I believe that NCAA... WLA tournament record for three pointers made in a tournament is 22, so yeah. feels likely that she's going to break that. Yeah. Um, and she's making five a game. That's insane too. So. No, I think that I think that's sustainable to yeah. be honest. And and just you know the the level of shots she is taking. Um, probably is not what you want from her, honestly. You probably want to put her in better positions to score. And so we'll see if Virginia Tech's able to do that against LSU. But on the flip side of that matchup, you know Alexis Morris. She deserves a ton of credit, I think, for what she's done for this team. Because, yeah. you know, against Miami, and, and not that Miami could hit a shot, and I understand that. Again, but it was just Alexis Morris almost kind of single-handedly beating Miami. She was the only player in that game, aside from Jasmine Roberts. Jasmine Roberts wasn't even, like, she just got to the rim a lot. Alexis Morris was hitting shots. And, you know, you, you see how her shot has improved throughout this season. And I think she has a real chance to actually win that matchup. Do you, that, you guys think I'm crazy for that? I, no, I don't think. I think she, I mean, was their best player in yeah. that game against Miami, like you said. And she's been playing at a really high level. I mean, she's an experienced player, too. Really? She's been around. She's been in big situations. So I wouldn't be surprised to see her win that matchup. I think what she does on the defensive end is maybe a little bit more than what Amor does. So I think that there could be an advantage LSU in that matchup. Yeah, yeah. More, Morris does, per, does have a very um, – I, I don't think yeah, – I don't think Amor can handle her defensively. Yeah. Uh, I'm not. Sure, I don't think Morris can. I don't think anyone can handle anymore mm-hmm. defensively either. Um, so maybe that does c- cancel out. I think the other matchup, obviously, we have to talk about. It's the one that's at the forefront: Liz Kitley versus Angel Reese. You kind of have the the Angel plays um, just a unique style, unique in the in the true sense of that word. Like she is one of a kind. There's no. There's not a lot of players that can do those little you know, wrap around shots mm-hmm. from the basket and, and grab the types of rebounds that she does or drives from the pinch post have gotten a lot better. Just stop taking bad threes, <laughs> which is which is good. Um, and, and she's really found herself. Now, on the other side, Kitley, she's been this player, and I think she just got incrementally better in every spot. You know, I think, uh, what, I, what I say like yesterday about her, that she's the, right now at the rim, you know, before she kind of didn't have good positioning around the room. Now she's like one of those things you see at the car wash, the wacky inflatable arm people. Oh, the yeah, you wanted her to be inflatable <laughs> yeah, and to play defense, you mean, right? Yeah, yeah, on defense near the rim. That's what she That's what she needs to do for this team in particular because they do have good um, defense on the perimeter. She just kind of needs to protect it when it gets broken. So in that matchup, Aaron, what do you see being a, a key consideration? Uh, I don't know. I think... Um I'm not sure I'm going to have a great answer for you on that one. I mean, I'm just, you said it's the contrasting styles. You know, I don't think we're not going to see, right, 25 and 24 from Angel Reese uh, tonight, tomorrow. I don't right? think so, but, but yeah. uh, it's going to be, yeah, I don't know that I have a definitive answer for that. I think I'll leave that to the podcasting pros. <laughs> but what I can tell you is that I'm really excited to see how it plays out. I love the, the chemistry, right, that the Virginia Tech team seems mm-hmm. to have and the LSU team, too. So, um, yeah. What do you think, Megan? 
Yeah, I mean, I think a big part of it is the rebounding, right? Who's going to get on the glass better? I think is going to be a big factor in this game. I think you see, especially when you get to this late of the stage of March, like those things, the little things mm -hmm. matter, the rebounds, the, the loose balls. So I think the two of them... Rebounds are, are not little things. Not Kids little, watch out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, little things, but it's yeah. the biggest thing. <laughs> those things are important in this matchup, so I think that's going to be big. I think the other thing I have my eye on is Angel Reese didn't have a great second weekend. Yeah. Mm -hmm. She just really struggled. Yeah, and I think she's, you could tell in the press conference today, she's kind of embraced that underground role a little bit for this team. And I don't know, I could see her coming out and kind of having a monster game because she's got that chip on her shoulder from how the last week has gone. Yeah, no, I totally see that. And, and the other thing you mentioned with the, with the rebounds, she gets in the boards. Um, you know, I think LSU is obviously one of the best offensive rebounding teams in the country. Regina Tech, I believe they're middle of the road. I don't have the stats in front of me. Um, but they, they don't necessarily build themselves on the glass, on the offensive glass. So the question is, how can Virginia Tech get uh, LSU off the offensive glass? Well, first off, you can force long shots, right? If you keep them out of the paint, shots are longer, shots go to guards on the perimeter. And those can be toss-up situations, but most of the time the defense can get to it first, you hope. Second is you keep Angel Reese out of paint. That doesn't seem likely. She gets in there no matter what. Third is you run. When you run in transition, it's very hard to offensive rebound, right? That's why teams tend to not offensive rebound against Iowa, a situation we're going to talk about in just a moment. Uh, so in, in with those three areas in mind, like, do you think Virginia Tech can take advantage? Like, can they run in transition? Can they keep – I mean, they're not keeping it. Can they force those long shots? Do you think that's where – do you think they can do that? Yeah, I think to an extent. I mean, like, at this stage, like, teams are going to get some of what they want to do regardless sure. of what you do, but – I think, yeah, forcing long shots is key. I think we saw how much uh, LSU struggled to show, score from the perimeter or really anywhere outside of the paint against Miami. That's going to be really important. I think for Duke Texas, they're also a really good defensive rebounding team. Fifth in the nation in defensive rebound rate on the season, so they're kind of uniquely positioned to keep them off the offensive boards a little bit more. And then, yeah, anytime you can push the pace in transition, that's going to be huge. Getting easy looks, not having another team's defense set, especially a team like LSU that has a really good defense. Like, you're going to get a lot better looks in the basket in transition. Yeah. yeah. What, you, what do you think, Aaron? Yeah, no, and then similarly, like, letting George Amor do her thing, right? Yeah. I mean, we saw that was on display right against Ohio State, but just kind of carve it up and, uh, you know, get the team moving, try to get the easy shots. Yeah, I think they have a lot of kind of supplementary talent or whatever you think the right mm -hmm. phrase is we were talking about earlier and so yeah it's like can players like Sewell or whatever really kind of maximize it uh, yeah. but I mean it's tough right LSU I believe is second in the country according to our stats at offensive rebounding rate yeah. for the season right so I mean it's that's why defensive rebounding uh, is going to be key for Virginia Tech. No, it's going it's to be huge and I think um, you know the question is for LSU like can they offensive rebound only sending one person to the glass because that would be what you want, right? You want to send one person to the glass, have four drop yeah. to prevent the break. But on the other side for Virginia Tech, you almost have a one-woman break. I was going to say right? it's four enough. Yeah. Uh, right. It's a yeah. stopper. Like you have a you have a one-woman break. So if she gets out, and now we have trailers coming from you know Soul coming on the five cut right to the basket. If we have Kayla King floating out mm. to that corner, those are deadly players in those areas. Yeah. Like. It becomes very difficult to stop Georgia Amor without being past half court when she gets the ball, right? So I think that's that's going to be very interesting, and that's going to be something we can tell early. Is LSU sending bodies to the glass? And is are they doing a good enough job getting back that they can even send one person to the glass? So I, I think that's where this matchup turns. Uh, we're going to talk about a lot of the same things we're going to talk about Iowa, South Carolina. Uh, but I, I do want to get a prediction because that's what I like to do. Um, I will go first if necessary, 
but lead us. Okay, I'm, I'll pick. What's the spread here? Let's make let's make someone happy. <laughs> yeah, I haven't looked that up a lot of seconds. Yeah, I, I, I can look I'm, at what our spread is. I don't have the betting. I will go. I'll tell you my money line pick. I think my money line pick. Who's going to win this game? I think Virginia Tech's taking it. I think they, you know, they have an advantage in terms of the 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 advantages, right? They have they can combat LSU's advantages more so than I think LSU can combat their advantages. I think the coaching is. Um, you know, as close to equal as you can get when you're playing someone like a Kim Mulkey, right? You have a, you have Kenny Brooks who's just so in sync with this team and, and so able to get them to execute um, that I think that's not necessarily a big advantage. And then the other thing that Kim Mulkey actually brought up was the experience yes. advantage in terms of uh, Virginia Tech being all an almost all senior team and LSU being a, mm. a much younger team. No, I didn't hear team. that today. So I thought that was really interesting. I think that can help push Virginia Tech over. The line. What do we have? A, do we have a line there? Yeah, it's uh, LSU is favored by one and a half points right now. Give me, give me Tech, baby. Yeah. Give me a Tech line, line. Yeah, I agree. I was also gonna say the thing that Kim Milky said about how they just they're all seniors and that's so good. Um, so they have just more experience, and I think when we're talking about like it coming down to the role players that are gonna make a bigger contribution, having seniors and players that are just a little bit more experienced versus like in LSU's case, player like Claudia Johnson that's a freshman that's a really yeah. hard player to be relying on at this stage in the tournament. So I think that just favors Virginia Tech a little bit more, and that those players that you're looking to to step up and make a big contribution are seniors and ready for that moment. I think one thing we should mention though before we get Aaron's back is like, do you think depth's gonna be a problem for Virginia Tech? They really only play six players. I think as long as you don't get in foul trouble, it's not an issue. I think this time of season people have tightened their rotations a lot, especially in the final four. Like you're not even teams that have a lot of depth are you really playing more than seven, eight deep, like no. you're not. So I think as long as you stay out of foul trouble, it's not a problem. If they get foul trouble, you have two people in foul trouble, it becomes a really big problem for them. Mm. So you're planning to uh, praise the refs on Friday night <laughs> after the games as you always do? <laughs> the uh, and, and the and the foul I mean the LSU is one of the best foul drawing teams Rest, in the country. Yeah. So I, yeah. that'll be another crucial battleground. Uh, hopefully it doesn't come up. Not because I not because I want Virginia Tech to win. Just like I don't want it to come down to the refs, so yeah, I don't have no to one, hear people yeah, talking. No about the refs. That. Uh, mm-hmm. But so hopefully they stay, they keep it clean and they can play their you know six players, six and a half players. Yeah. Shots to Taylor Garman. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. She got a little time, right? Yeah, she gets, uh, she gets a little time. Aaron, what's your pick? Well, I'm going to be contrarian, so All at right. least it'll be a good con- uh, podcast, right? I'll take LSU, right? I think. Uh, you know, clearly, as I just said, Vegas is or the sportsbook writer are favoring LSU. We've got LSU third in our stats model, um, and it almost feels like we're anti-narrative. It's almost like the conventional wisdom is that LSU is overrated, and so therefore we're all overrating, not underrating them at some yeah. level. So I think, like, it would be a fascinating uh, storyline if it turns out, in fact, you can play a, um, an unprecedented uh, non-conference schedule, as you pointed out. I remember in like January, February, and then still make the championship game. Um, you know, it'll be, you know, SEC excellence, right? We'll hear a lot about uh, that. And so, I, I, you know, I give them a lot of credit. I'm not sure, you know, we felt, I feel like all season we were really praising the ACC for being a strong conference, but I don't know that we ever praised it for having that team at the top, right? I mean, yeah. obviously SEC, yeah. Yeah. right? And so, I mean, I was sort of wondering this, I recall, about the Big Ten at some point. Of like, is it going to turn out that they're all quite good, but no one's in that, like, at some level, right, no team has really established itself as the number two or three team yeah. in the country behind South Carolina. Yeah, it's like a sure. giant mess from, from two to ten. Yeah. And so, like, Hence what? all the craziness in the tournament. Exactly, yeah. which is, you know, which is great, right? So why can't it be LSU, right? I mean, yeah. they played Tennessee, they played South Carolina, 
Um, and, you know, Kim, Mul you know, talk about the experience, like Kim Mulkey's been there, right? And yeah. so she knows how to motivate her team. So I think that uh, since I think a lot of people are high on Virginia Tech, I'm going to go the other way and pick uh, uh, LSU as a result. I'm just hoping it's a classic because I think yeah. these two themes can put on a real show and, and put on something that's going to be special for women's basketball um, in, in a different way than the yeah. game we're going to talk about yeah. now, which is Iowa, South Carolina. Uh, this is going, I mean, I, think, I don't think I'm talking out of turn. This is going to be the most watched women's basketball game in the history of the sport. Not only that, I predict it's going to have more viewers in the championship game. That's my, I think this could be the first time in a, I mean, I don't have the data on all of it, right? But I would bet it would be the first time that a uh, semifinal game had higher viewership than a championship game. I could see it having higher ratings than, you know, one of the men's Final Fours games, to be Obviously. honest. Because, I mean, there's not that... The teams in there aren't marquee teams. Yeah. Except for Miami, obviously. We're not going to do it. We're not <laughs> Not a men's basketball podcast. Not a men's basketball podcast. We'll get back to women's basketball. He's uh, talking about the women, too, right? So yeah, I mean, you know, we did go further than UConn also. And the women's. So South Carolina and Iowa are two teams that are just so externally defined by their two stars, right? And Caitlin Clark and Leah Boston. However, those two players don't interact. They don't play even on the same parts of the floor, and you hope for Iowa's sake that there isn't a lot of interaction because that probably means that Aaliyah Boston's blocking Caitlin Clark. You don't rim. think that she's going to be isolating her at the top of the key or drag out Aaliyah Boston? I don't think South Carolina's going to let that happen, <laughs> to be honest. Their, their guards are too yeah, good yeah. at getting around the screens. I think they communicate too well to put Aaliyah Boston in that situation, yeah. right? It's not like they have, in the NBA you can kind of get whatever yeah, matchup yeah. you want. I think in college, especially women's, it's, it's tougher to get those isolation right. matchups. Um, be great for the Iowa if they could do that. But where, where do you think um, the advantage lies? Let's start with Iowa, because I think the advantage for South Carolina is pretty obvious. Where do you think Iowa has an advantage? I think on the perimeter, which is also yeah. the obvious yeah. statement, but I mean, their perimeter shooting, not just Clark, but the way Gabby Marshall and the kind of Warnock are shooting the ball right now, Kate Martin at times, mm -hmm. has been really, really strong, and that's probably South Carolina's one weakness is yeah. on the perimeter. Their perimeter shooting, it was good against Maryland, but generally not great. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's that's the biggest advantage that Iowa has in terms of you're trading threes for two. That helps you keep up with South Carolina. Yeah, and, and Aaron, do you think that South Carolina's guards can slow down that three-point barrage from Iowa? I think that in general, one of my fundamental beliefs, right, that um, kind of NBA analytics yeah. more so has shown is that, like, it's actually uh, not about forcing teams to uh, miss the three-pointers, but it's forcing them not to take it, right? So certainly, like, Kate and Clark, I don't know how you stop her from shooting. She'll just step further back. Yeah. Um, I think you got a little bit more hope, right, of rotating, especially some of the length of the people flying out for kind of wing and corner threes. But... Um, yeah, I just ultimately, you know, as much as I enjoy watching this Iowa team, as talented uh, as I think they are, you know, I just think ultimately we're, we might get a situation, or I worry we'll get a situation kind of like the Maryland game, right, yeah. where, like, they're going to play really well um, to start, and then just like we've seen all season, South Carolina is going to wear them down. I do think, I mean, Iowa has the proverbial punter's chance because three is better than two, right? And as I said, I think that if they can, as a collectively – you know, not just Clark, but everybody hit threes, you know, then they got a shot, right? Even if South Carolina has their way in the, in the middle. So I do think that, um, if I can tie it back to your uh, oh, yeah, intro to this game, 
I actually would ask you the question, I don't know that I feel like the South Carolina team is defined by Aaliyah Boston this year. I mean, I think that's like, True. I think what's so impressive about them is just how they're a collective. Yeah. Like, everyone's kind of commenting on how she doesn't have the numbers in the past, yeah. and, you know, because of the talent. We heard Dawn Staley today at her press conference talking about just how unselfish she is and just how that just, you know, it's genuine, right? Yeah. a different position. It's true, really. too, I guess. But, um... But yeah, so I think it's really fascinating that even though she's clearly the face of the team, it's not quite the same way as Clark is for Iowa. Yeah, I think externally, though, I think it kind of is. I, I do agree with you. Like, there's been more recognition for the other South Carolina players in terms of for us, right? You know, yeah. the people who are paying attention. You hear Nzai Cook, I think, is is very famous. Um, and, you know, they, they have familiar faces to people who are not women's basketball fanatics. But I think, you know, you, if you talk to... Uh, a, a layman. You talk to my dad. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Like well, when, Boston when I, is in the Buick commercial, right? With yeah. The other, right? Isn't she? Yeah, yeah. If my if I call my dad to talk about South Carolina, I have always brings up how good Leo mm. Boston is, and I think that's just because of how the narratives are kind of presented. Mm. Um, and so that's why I said it, you know to find externally, but I do agree with you. This South Carolina team is a really great collective, and when you look at how Leo Boston has been playing, it is that. Like, it's indicative of how everyone else is playing. Like, she gave up essentially her position that she's played her entire life to play next to Camila Cardoso, who is more limited in terms of what she can do. So, mm. Boston expanded her game. Yep. And yeah, the numbers, you know, they're not as good, but that's what happens in basketball. That's how it works. She's playing like 25 minutes a game, I think. Yeah, and, and so I, I just think, um, you know, that selflessness kind of carries throughout the entire team. Yes. And they, you know, you really see it on defense. And that defense, I think, is going gonna, is gonna to be what carries. Um, South Carolina in this game along with their offensive rebounding. So, Megan, you know, we can talk about offensive rebounding all the time. We can talk about a little bit, but you can talk about defense, you can talk about offensive rebounding, whatever. Yeah, I think something to note is, like, if we go back to the first weekend and, like, when Iowa played Georgia, and they, sc- mm-hmm. they did struggle to score mm-hmm. some in that game, and I think that's probably the most similar thing they've seen in this tournament so far to what they're going to see with South Carolina. And South mm-hmm. Carolina is still a much bigger step up <laughs> yeah, from right. where that Georgia team is, but the Georgia team defense was very good, and we saw Iowa struggle, so I think that's something to, to keep an eye on in terms of they haven't necessarily had as much success as they're accustomed to having scoring against that type of team. And then the rebounding, too. I think we talked about going into this tournament how much better Iowa had been on the defensive glass, and they have been better this season for sure. But I think we've seen them struggle with that a little bit in this tournament against Georgia and against Colorado. They had, I think, two of their like four mm-hmm. worst um, mm-hmm. defensive rebounding performances of the season so far so they've they've struggled when they've played teams that really emphasize the offensive class which they haven't necessarily seen in conference play as much um so i think that's something to keep an eye on i think they could really struggle on the glass against south carolina which everyone does so yeah. they're not really yeah. knock on no them shame, but no. i just think that, that area in particular is going to be really hard for them well and then the speedy guards on both the teams you mentioned mm-hmm. that kind of made a difference too because now you can offensive rebound and get back mm-hmm. which is what we were just talking about in the last game like if you can do that then you're going to take away a lot of, tr- of transition opportunities from Iowa, and Iowa is built on that transition. Do you think, uh, Aaron, do you think South Carolina's defense has has an answer for that transition game from Iowa? Yeah, I think their defense has an answer for everything sure. at some level, right? So um, I think that they are very well coached, and you know they've just got so much depth, right? Mm-hmm. And so I just think that they're going to be uh, you know, Don Staley is going to make sure they're getting back, right? And if they don't get back, she's going to Get someone else in, right? Yeah. And so I think that's the They'll key. get back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not, I'm not worried about that at all. Yeah. Yeah, I think that... And, and it's not just getting back, though. You know, it's it's getting back, communicating, right. finding a body. And I think those three things are, are just crucial in, in transition defense because, against, especially against Caitlin Clark, 
you have to find her before half court. Mm-hmm. You if you to, find her at half court, you're done. And not just her, but also her targets. I remember I just saw Debbie Antonelli mm-hmm. tweeted out like uh, like a little video thing she did when she was doing an Iowa game earlier in the season, and, and Clark was talking about she really likes to make that diagonal mm-hmm. pass. I think uh, cross court in the transition um, across half court, and so I think that that's really the key. And so that's why I think that you know. Puncher's chance, right? If Iowa's, you know, shooters can kind of run uh, in transition, get off the threes before the defense, the half court defense. Yeah, is that? I mean, that's what they're going to have to do, and South Carolina knows it, right? Yeah, and uh, and the in the matchups themselves are going to be interesting. I mean, you don't cover Caitlin Clark with one player, period. No team, uh, and these guards are some of the best defensive guards in the country. They're not. They cannot cover Caitlin Clark one on one. They will get their beat if that's the case. But I think their communication in that. Um, they, they're the best communicating defense in the country, from what I can tell. You know, you hear you hear them talk when you mm-hmm. watch them play. You see them talk. You see them move as if they are communicating. So I think that's going to really benefit them. But the matchups, too, at the guard position are going to be interesting because you're probably assuming it's going to be Bree Beal yeah, as a primary. So. Um, but then, you know, Zia Cook and Kiara Fletcher, they're both going to be picking up mm-hmm. Clark at times. Do you see any one of those matchups being favorable either way? I'm guessing, you know, which one, which one can Clark beat more often? Yeah, I mean, I think Zaya's probably their second best defender on the perimeter, mm-hmm. so I would say that, like, you probably will see her help more. But I could also see the way I was playing right now, that I'm kind of focusing on maybe do you try to shut down Warnock and more too, because I think that's, like, Caitlin Clark still can't beat South Carolina by herself, right? Other people have to contribute. Yeah. They're going to be able to limit Sonano a lot, I think. There was a... You can, well, sorry, there was a, there was a, she commented on that. So I could commented about that. There was a question on the press conference today, uh, and she said uh, that really Coach Daly had been emphasizing that it's not just about one or two players, which is kind of what the question was about, that really it is about all five. So I had the sense that that probably that's going to be the strategy at some level is like let Clayton Clark, Caitlin Clark be Caitlin Clark, and she could have a 40 point triple double. And those four 40 not, points, yeah, yeah, this, this is not how maybe it's 18, yeah. and yeah, you're at 58, 65. I don't even think so. I think it's, I mean, it'd be really tough for her to get to 18. I think she's gonna have a rough game, uh, yeah, it's gonna be a challenge, and, and she's gonna have to find ways to contribute. And mm-hmm. I think that comes on defensive glass, but you know, she is gonna have to <laughs> her best, her best possessions often are when she just gets the heck down court. Um, unfortunately for her, she is now playing someone who is both bigger and faster than her in Aaliyah Boston. And Aaliyah Boston can get to the offensive glass, and she can get back. And if Aaliyah Boston's get back, guess what? I'm guessing Victoria Saxon's back there. I'm guessing Camila Cardoso's already back there. So those little plays where you see Caitlin Clark rush down court, you know, drop a dime yeah. from where she shoots from right to right into Sonata's hands for an easy bucket. Quick, yeah. Those, those plays may not be there. Now, what can Sonano do to combat that? Well, she can get the ball, pass it out. It's not something that's really in her forte. She's okay at it um, in, those, in those situations. She can also try to just out-rebound, you know, try to really, really keep Aaliyah Boston off the glass, and, and that could be her sole responsibility. And if she's able to do that, that might be the biggest contribution she can make. I don't think it's going to be possible because Aaliyah Boston might be the best offensive rebounder we've ever seen in collegiate basketball. But... If, if she could, that'd be the biggest contribution. So for Sinano, it, obviously this matchup's going to be tough. Do you see her having, what what can, where else can she contribute if it's not on the points? Yeah, I mean, I think the glass is the big one. I also am interested to see what Iowa does with their lineups in terms of, like, if you have Boston and Cardoso out there, Iowa doesn't play her alongside Sulky very much, mm-hmm. but do they go to something mm-hmm. like that mm-hmm. in this game? Because 
otherwise, how do you compete with them having two people in the post? They're going to get obliterated in, in yeah. the lane if they don't do something there. So I think that'll be interesting to see how they interact side by side and if doing that can allow one of them to get a little bit more open in the post and space the floor a little bit differently and get some opportunities to score in the lane. Yeah. yeah, I wonder if Snot will get some help. I mean, if you were South Carolina, you'd probably be so confident that you wouldn't double her. And no, uh, therefore, me, I mean, she's got pretty good footwork, I think, right? So there's some chance that she could sort of, you know, be dancing in the paint there and somehow get the shots off. Um, I imagine, yeah, I guess they'd probably put, what, Cardozo on her? And yeah. Then, and then that, I mean, she's got such legs that that's uh, tall order. I like but. the Cardo. I like Sonano's matchup against Cardoso much more than I like her matchup against Dave Boston. For yeah. cer- certainly, I guess I feel like the leg though can just you know make up for the footwork. Yeah, but you know, but like, but I mean, she's the defensive player of the year. Yeah, you, you know, you have the length, the size, the speed, the smarts, everything from Leo yeah. Boston. Yeah. Is, is just I think you're gonna see Boston on her mostly. I just like, yeah, I think. Iowa doesn't really have anyone else you really need to guard with that in the post. So well, I also think Boston on her. Mm. Sa- I think Saxon takes a lot of uh, Cardoso's minutes. I mean, it's been happening a little bit more uh, throughout the tournament that that Saxon steps up and, and plays the four, and she's just you know six four with extremely long arms. Merely, so, you know, that's that's nothing to deal with. <laughs> yeah. uh, but she she can also uh, provide a little bit of resistance if Boston is dragged out, um, or or just you know they trust. If they trust Boston hedging more or showing more, wherever they're going to do uh, against Clark and, and those high pick and rolls, but it'll be interesting because I do think Saxon's been playing well. And I do think she's probably going to get the majority of the minutes there. So then it becomes like, hmm. like do you, if that's Skolke, if you want to bring her in, maybe there is that advantage. Right. But then, stay but then yeah, there's a lot of trust. Yeah. So here's my like whole analysis here. Like, have you guys seen Avengers Endgame? No. Yes. Yes. You have. Okay. So actually, this is uh, Infinity War. This is your, this is gonna be your analysis. <laughs> you know how Doctor Strange? You know, uh, spoiler alert. <laughs> I've not seen this movie. Uh, Iron Man asks Doctor Strange, like, okay, he's he's like, go through all the scenarios to see how many we win. And Doctor Strange says, I go, I went through like four, 14 million, whatever, whatever. And Iron Man says, how many did we win? And and Doctor Strange says, one. <laughs> I think that's South. I think that's Iowa's situation. There are a lot of ways for South Carolina to win this game. They can get on the glass. Yeah. They can stop. They can right. stop. You know the other players. They can stop Sonata. They can hope Caitlin Clark misses, which is possible. They can get. They can stop her in transition. Iowa has a very thin path to getting this victory. The one in 14 million chance. Out, it's, no, not it's not one in fourteen million. It's not it's one in fourteen million. Not according million. to our her suit says, "Well, it's a little higher." <laughs> yeah, it's not one in fourteen million. But it is. They have a very, very narrow path. It has to be almost perfect. They have to. They have to force long shots, and get the long rebounds, and get out in transition, and get those buckets. It has to happen early, often, and then continue through the second half, which. That is the part that no team has done against South Carolina. Yeah, you have and to beat South Carolina in 40 minutes. A lot of teams can hang with South Carolina for 20 minutes, but then that next 20 minutes kills them. Yeah. <laughs> so two questions, reactions. First, are you Doctor Strange in this analogy? I am are not. you Iron Man? Are we Iron Man? Or so <laughs> I guess. Uh, well, I guess. I guess. I guess Doctor Strange would be Lisa Bluter. Just um, <laughs> a funny visual. Um, but. You know, she's the person who has has the the chance in her head, right? She knows it. she knows how well, it goes for them to yeah. win. So I guess maybe I am Iron Man. I gotcha, gotcha. I am, I am Iron Man. I, uh, so, yeah, I mean, I do wonder uh, how, maybe you guys can talk, you were at the Iowa press conference, right? Yeah. So I'd be interested to hear how they're just feeling about being the underdog. 
But the thing that I think is also fascinating about this here, I mean, anything can happen. That's why they play the game mm-hmm. any given Friday, any given Sunday. But um, I feel like the way we've seen South Carolina wear down teams we were talking about earlier, it just the chances that like South Carolina will get rattled if Iowa plays really well in the first half and, and is up at halftime, like they're still going to be totally confident. Whereas in other Final Fours, you can imagine teams that where that pressure could get to them, and that would be one part of the ways it would kind of unravel if they um, were down early. But I think taking that scenario away just kind of makes the challenge even more for Iowa. Yeah, yeah I mean, South Carolina can't rattle. That team does not rattle. Yeah. Uh, they, don't, they don't shake. They've been through it all. Um, so, uh, yeah, it does take a really big chunk off the board because if you look at the Virginia Tech-LSU game, one team goes up 20 early on, you're suddenly thinking, like, this becomes really difficult. Well, first off, South Carolina can get down 20 for the most nah. part. It'd be, it's kind of impossible to see any situation. 10 until right. Right. It's not going to be 20. And then, and then they're just net. You're right. They're just knocking in. Their heads are going to plow right through it. So, Megan, my question is, like, help, help me define this one path a little bit more. How does it go? Like, how, So, if, if they cannot knock him out early, which you can't do, as Aaron just said, where, how does Iowa do it? I think the thing is they have to hit shots. That's the biggest thing. You've got to hit a lot of threes. You're going to have to hit all the threes. Um, you hope South Carolina doesn't hit the threes. I think that was one of the things that was kind of lethal for them against Maryland. It's like they did everything they normally did, and then they also hit threes. Mm-hmm. And once, when, if South Carolina is hitting threes, it's kind of over. <laughs> it's over. Like, if they have a day where they're hitting threes, I, just, I don't see anyone beating them if they're hitting threes. Um, I think we've seen a lot of teams – do a decent job with some kind of zone defense of forcing South mm-hmm. Carolina to take more outside shots. But I think that's something I was going to try to do as well. I think the more you can force South Carolina to have to take shots on the perimeter or in the mid-range, the more success you're going to have in guarding them. I think we saw at UCLA did a really good yeah, job yeah, of they it. Did. They didn't hit shots on the other end to do anything. but Maryland did pretty good. Yeah, Maryland did a pretty good job of it. So trying to force them to have to score outside of the paint is going to be really important. You've got to do that. And then you've got to do something on the ground. You can't let them get offensive rebounds. And that's, I think, going to be the most difficult part of it because like, it's easy to say. It's very difficult to do. And, you know, it's just like I feel I feel bad because that's what we always we always talk about, offensive rebound with South yeah. Carolina. And I understand that it gets old because this team does a lot of great stuff. Um, they're very well coached. They, they do great stuff. But they are the best offensive rebounding team in the history of the Her Hoop Stats uh, recording, yeah. right? Yeah, like their, 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 their offensive rebound rate was 48%. I forget what it is. It went down, too, from, from earlier in the season. Yeah, it was like 49% over 50 So, yeah, they're just incredible at it from an offensive rebounding rate standpoint. You know, they don't play at the highest pace. I, don't, I think their offensive rebounds per game is not as high as some other teams. But it's just it's unbelievable how many they pulled out. Well, and their offense actually does they, – they, do, they score a lot of fast break points. So it's not like their offense is – I think teams try to slow it down because, you know, if you, if you make every possession – more important, you kind of have a better chance. Um, but yeah, I just think that offensive rebounding is it, a killer. It's a killer for every team. And then the not only the offensive rebounding, it's when you give up an offensive rebound and you foul because you gave up the offensive yeah. rebound. And you're coming back down and you charge. And then you got two fouls and your coach keeps you out for the entire second quarter and you go down eight and then there's no answer. Never mind. No, I'll talk about that game. Um, but I think that, you know, if it comes down to the glass, it's a big problem for they have to make it about three pointers. They have to make it about the pace. And if they do that, they, they do have a chance. And we, we you know we have given Iowa their, their proper chance. I think it is time to make a pick. 
I made the first pick last time. I'm going to Aaron this time. Okay, yeah. I mean, you'll be shocked to hear that I'm going to pick South Carolina. I don't think we're going to have much dissension on this one. What's the spread here? Do we know? Uh, It was 11.5, I believe, when I checked that out a minute ago. Um, Yeah, you know, we give South Carolina like an 83% chance to win this game um, based on our her hoop sets model. I mean, so it's not impossible. Not one in 14 million. But, um, you know, it's just they've been so dominant all season. And, you know, they got tripped up last year by Kentucky, right, in the SEC tournament. I was trying to remember when you were talking earlier about what we can learn from that as sort of the path to that. But, again, I feel like this team is so much better than than last year, too, right? Um, So, so yeah. So, I mean, I would definitely take South Carolina. I think that for Iowa, as you said, to have a chance, like, they need to be hitting – the rest of their team needs to be hitting their three-point shots. I was just checking – I think uh, Caitlin Clark was eight for fourteen from uh, three in that forty-point win, a uh, forty-point game over Louisville, and the rest of the team from three, and uh, the rest of the team was eight for twenty-one, and like they're going to need to be like twelve or thirteen from you know some kind of otherworldly you know uh, night where everything comes together uh, for it to happen, which is in the realm of possibility, but pretty unlikely. And and against the spread. Uh, against the spread, I'm still going to take... Uh, Dana would probably question me, but I'm still going to take uh, South Carolina. I think that... And there is a chance, right, that the Iowa side of it could unravel, right. I think, because those offensive Opa. rebounds... Uh, that, that was not a sound effect uh, you added no, that was not. Um, <laughs> Stone Cold Steve Austin has entered. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I just think there's a chance that they'll just kind of get worn down, right, and the length will just be super disheartening. I mean, I think that's one of the things about the offensive rebounds. Like we played all this great defense, yeah. and, like, somehow they still scored because they got the offensive rebound and just put back in a two-footer. Yeah, I'm also going to go South Carolina. No surprise. I just I think that they, like you said, have so many paths to win this game, and it doesn't they don't have to do everything right to win no. this game? Where Iowa has to kind of have everything go perfectly to come out with the win. So I think it's going to be South Carolina. I don't also don't know that it's going to be particularly close. I think we'll see a close first half, but I think we're kind of going to see what we've seen from South Carolina all season long, where probably a close first half, and they're going to start to pull away in the third quarter, and then that fourth quarter they'll really open it up, and it, it's not going to go down. The South Carolina Crock-Pot, I've been calling it. Uh, yeah, I can't believe you guys uh, aren't uh, familiar with that story. I was uh, practically yelling at my uh, my phone about the uh, the lobster boiling and the. Uh, the oh thing. yeah, I didn't know about that. That one was that's I don't know. Uh, well, I was tripped up by the frog. Yeah, I knew about lobsters, but we were talking about frogs. Yeah, but I was like, why feel are like we it's the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, the way Calvin said it was also like yeah. there's a boiling yeah. frog somewhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, was a, it wasn't very clear. It was also midnight, so that is true. Capacity low. I still like my crock pot more because I, I just think. That's that's really yeah. just they, they bring they build up the pressure they build up the pressure and then by the end you're a soupy mess like you are just beat down um, by the end of the game so I agree I have to go South Carolina I would love to be different I just don't think it's I don't think it's gonna happen I will also go South Carolina against the spread I agree with you Aaron I agree with you Megan like I don't think this gets close at the end just because of and, and it's not anything against Iowa it's not anything against Caitlin Clark it's not anything against you know her winning the award or whatever it's just South Carolina. Is that good? Yes. They're one of the best teams we've ever seen. Megan, I know we can talk about you coming. Uh, but South Carolina is one of the best teams we've ever seen. I think this team is so together. They're so ready for this moment that I think it'd be, it's it's just, it's almost impossible to think of them losing either game. Honestly, we're spoiler for our next podcast. Just hard to think about. I thought we did a great job with the thought exercise. It's definitely possible. <laughs> yes. It's yes. just hard to uh, believe that it really hasn't. I love that we gave all the reasons that Iowa could win. 
only the quick Iowa to lose. <laughs> Testament to what Don Staley has built at, at South Carolina. That's how you do it. Well, it feels like we're wrapping up, so we've got a lot of. Is, is that true, Gabe? Yes, we are. So up. I would say I don't know. Do we want to talk today, or do we want to save for a future podcast? Are we going to do the whole topic? Is South Carolina ruining college basketball? <laughs> Let's do you have any tomorrow. opinions, Megan? <laughs> tomorrow or Sunday? Let's make yeah. sure they win first. Because yeah, yeah, that's no, going to sound real dumb. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, let's no, make sure they win the it's whole thing. It's just so ironic that people have said that for so long about UConn, and now yeah. it sort of feels like it's... it's like, uh, I, great teams don't ruin the sport. No. Uh, Absolutely they not. They make it better. And they make I think, everyone else better. And you look at it, too. It's like, look at how good the other teams are. You know, when you... No offense to UConn. UConn, the, the UConn didn't play as many great teams in their Grand Stewart room as this South Carolina team has played. And teams that are going to go down in our memories in terms of being those great teams. This Caitlin Clark Iowa run, regardless of what happens tomorrow, yeah. is legendary. I think what Virginia Tech has done, that's that's forever for Virginia Tech. That is the thing we're going to think about with Virginia Tech is this season. LSU, same sort of deal. Like this is something that's going to live in in the halls of, of their program, great program. So it's just like South Carolina. What South Carolina is doing is just so so impressive, and they are not ruining. The sport, they are crazy, but we will have that debate. Oh, okay, if they win the championship, we can see it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If they win the championship, I just want to hear the UConn fans weigh in on that one. (laughs) We'll see how they're feeling once they lose to Miami in the men's final four. That's right, you guys are gonna be. Yeah, uh, Gabriel probably won't be speaking, but Sunday it's gonna be me and Dan and Calvin. We'll have to do a podcast. And Megan and I angrily staring at each other. Yeah, you won't be sitting next to each other in a minimum that time. At least we're not driving together. That was the original plan. Quickly. Thought better of it. It's going to be a basketball weekend for the two of you. It's, it's pretty cool. It's amazing time. It's amazing yeah. time. Uh, but we got a lot more basketball stuff to do. Got some people to hang out with. We got some more her hoop stats people. Uh, as I'm looking behind the camera, I see Adam. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're gonna be here all weekend trying to do daily podcasts. So keep it locked right here on the her hoop stats podcast feed or on YouTube. Uh, hope you subscribe. Give us likes, comments, all that stuff really helps if you're enjoying the podcast and if the audio quality i should have mentioned this a lot earlier mm-hmm. if the audio quality is a little wonky it's because we're recording in the lovely uh, marriott bonvoy lounge and the acoustics are not necessarily what we're used to so uh thanks for joining us and we will talk to you guys tomorrow have a good one support for this podcast and the following message come from corient Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.